welcome to Rewrite the Rules, the show about women leaders in Asia. My name is Ritu Mehrish and I interview successful women leaders across Asia to discover how they are rewriting the rules of life, career and relationships. From these conversations, we will get practical and actionable tips that we can use to accelerate our own career journeys. Don't worry about writing all the points because I will summarize them at the end for you. We will also link the entire transcript in the show notes. Hi, Amy. Welcome to the show. We're really excited to um, have you on our show this time. And I'm sure our listeners are going to get a lot from this conversation. Just let me get started with introducing you and then I'm going to hand over to you. So Amy is the advisor and executive coach on business and sustainability projects for Maybank. Now, so Amy, over to you. Can you tell us a little bit about your current role, but also a little bit about your journey? Uh, I have been with Maybank close to 15 years. Uh, I just retired at the end of last year as the CEO of the Investment Banking Group, uh, which was a portfolio uh, of 10 different jurisdictions spanning from Hong Kong to the U.S., And of course, our primary markets were the uh, six ASEAN countries, uh, Malaysia, Indonesia, Thailand, Philippines, Vietnam, uh, and uh, Singapore. Over the 15 years, these were the most pivotal years I feel in my career, uh, not only because uh, it was a very uh, progressive journey, particularly into a C-suite role, but also uh, in realizing the ambitions of the bank to become a regional player, so to speak. Right. Um, Have you always been in banking or what's been before Maybank? What was the journey like? Uh, No, actually, uh, the the one strange twist in my life is that I grew up, uh, I did my degree in uh, mathematics uh, and then I uh, did... I got exposure into political science and I discovered, you know, a great passion to understand factors that really impact mm-hmm. societies. So I did a double degree in the end, uh, both math uh, and politics. And then I did my master's in social science and philosophy. Uh, and, uh, you know, entering the world of finance was never part of my ambition in life. Uh, but after having spent 13 years in the UK where, you know, I had to do so many jobs just to actually keep myself afloat economically. I did six, seven jobs, you know, waitressing and, you know, e- even, you know, answering uh, pizza calls for pizzas, pizza deliveries, etc. I actually realized that I, I was getting a bit tired and I what really drove me, I guess, past, you know, after I finished my uh, master's, was you know the the need to ha- gain for myself financial independence you know to to be able to say hey this is what I want to do and I am then able to actually afford to do what I want to do working hard has always been uh, part of my I guess uh, family culture family work ethic uh, my father was a civil servant we came from a very poor family uh, there was eight of us seven girls seven girls and one boy. Uh, I was, I guess, very blessed. My father being, you know, uh, struggling himself, uh, you know, was very emphatic about making sure that all uh, seven girls, his seven daughters, uh, together with his son, uh, were able to get the best education. Uh, And that really, I think, 
really set me, you know, on the path that I have always been on, uh, the, the always wanting to learn and continuing to learn to always be better, you know, always to better myself. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's, that's such a great story and so inspiring. What have been some of the pivotal moments or some of the big risks that you take that paid off? Um, any anecdote that stands out for you? Uh, you know, when I think back and I reflect about my career, for example, uh, two things uh, that really helped to contextualize uh, yeah. my experiences. Firstly, is that, you know, I was born in a newly independent Malaysia. So, uh, you know, growing up in Malaysia, uh, post-independence, uh, there was a lot of, was there were a lot of opportunities. There were all, there was also limited access uh, to mm. opportunities. So in that sense, coming from a very poor background uh, and you know not having the right access, really meant that you had to be very single-minded. You know, you had to be very very focused uh, and fixated on wanting to use education as that lifeline. You know, uh, to to a, to a different world of possibilities. From that newly independent, con newly independent nation context, uh, then when I came back to Malaysia uh, in the early 90s, it was to a very different context that it was to uh, uh, an emerging market context. And so when I first came back, the very first question I asked is, okay, I need to gain myself my financial independence. What's the best job for me? And I was told that, you know, at, you know uh, capital markets in emerging markets at that point in time was, you know, was in a boom. And that yeah. was how I ended up uh, in the brokerage uh, industry. And of course, the brokerage industry is a very male dominated world. I found myself, you know, in an emerging market in an industry that, you know, where uh, the where the appreciation of the differences between the genders were perhaps not something that was given a lot of attention to. So uh, that was the risk I took. Uh, I found it extremely difficult. I struggled uh, tremendously uh, dealing with you know, norms that I found not appropriate or perhaps not conducive uh, for the development of women professionals. But uh, I made a decision that, no, I'm going to stick this, uh, you know, I'm going to stick this out. I'm going to make sure that I find my way, right, to navigate uh, the differences and which at, at many times became polarities. Uh, I remember many <laughs> nights of, uh, you know, being in tears because, you know, sometimes you're not invited uh, to the table. You, and even when you're invited to the table, when you speak, people look at you and think like, you know, uh, what right have you got to say whatever it is that you think you have an opinion on? Mm. And sometimes, you know, you were just uh, ignored. So there, it was very, very challenging. Uh, but you know what? I stuck through the brokerage industry uh, right up to the end of my career. Uh, naturally, from brokerage, yeah, I really then expanded, once we acquired our regional footprint, I expanded into investment management and investment banking as a whole. Yeah. Uh, during your tenure, probably you experienced it or you, you saw it. What have been your top two or three challenges um, that, that you faced? Uh, you know, holding back uh, my 
my candid views and opinions was definitely a challenge. Uh, learning how to say things uh, without being you know, extremely angry or ex extremely emotional, but getting the point across uh, was uh, another thing that was uh, extremely uh, tough for me. Uh, I must say that I, uh, I, upon looking back, I would say I failed miserably <laughs> at both many, many times. But it is something that you learn through the years, right? Yeah. It is really about always uh, pausing, right? Stepping back, reflecting, and always thinking about how to bring uh, different parties with different interests uh, to a, a, a common table, so to speak. And I guess the, the one thing that if, you know, in, in this conversation, since we're talking about different lenses for Asian women in leadership roles. The one thing that I really, you know, uh, thought a lot about and reflect a lot about is about building social capital. Uh, something that I definitely, you know, had a lot of struggles with because it's not easy, you know, uh, uh, having the confidence to believe in yourself that whatever that you say have value, uh, understanding how to curate a list of people that you need to be in front of because their views of you, their opinions of you, their decision-making powers matter to you. Uh, building the visibility for yourself, right? And especially visibility, which basically means your personal brand about what you stand for, you know, what your positions are on various things. Uh, all these things which are part of building and investing in your social capital, it's not easy for women, right? Yeah. Because a lot of the activities around networking, for example, they were not necessarily to things that you yeah. felt comfortable in, karaoke nights with your top clients, etc. These were things that perhaps you really wanted to say, it's not okay. But you also know that as a woman, it, when you say it's not okay, people will say, you know, you know proves the point, right? It's yeah. very difficult for women to get up there. So understanding what you want to represent, what is your brand, right? And sticking to it, finding and navigating the paths to, to the end point of being able to ensure that you know whom, who you should be in front of, uh, whose opinions matter, and how they can vouch for you, basically finding your sponsors. All these things are part of that journey. Right. I mean, you've said so many great things. So the point that you made about visibility, um, you know, in my work as, as a team coach, as an executive coach, and I work quite a bit with women leaders, and sometimes, you know, a lot of them will say, I don't know how to build visibility, or why should I build visibility? I'm doing my job very well. Then why do I need to? So I'm glad you addressed that because, you know, as you said, some of the big decisions of their careers are taken in a room when they are not there. So therefore, people need to know enough about them. Um, the, the thing that you talked about um, investing in, um, you know, building and investing social capital, can you double click on that? Can you tell us a little bit more about how uh, especially young emerging women leaders can, you know, can start to build social capital early on in their career and how do they continue to invest in it? So uh, having sponsorship right? Having a sponsor, whether it's a female sponsor or a male sponsor, but having sponsors, no matter where you are in the world matters, because it's about people who will and can vouch for you, 
right? What you stand for, the values that uh, you bring to the table and the value create the value creation uh, that is possible with you at the table. So for young women, you know, who are out there uh, and listening and thinking, you know, what should I do? How do I, how do I go about doing it? Why is it important? It just seems like such a waste of time. Uh, trust me, it is not. Uh, you know, when you work hard, they will naturally, you know, come up for promotion. They'll be top of the yeah. list for promotion. It's not going to happen that way. In yeah. boardrooms, you know, there are very few to yeah. speak out for people who they can vouch in terms of being able to get to the next level, you know, in terms of having the leadership attributes or whatever. Top of mind will be people who've been in front of them, right? Yeah. So uh, to me, uh, I also, what I encourage is what I call a social audit right? Mm. Make sure that you always have five questions uppermost in your mind. For example, uh, who in your network is willing to introduce you to others? And you'll be surprised. I have asked quite a few men, right, uh, in my career in investment banking to introduce me to uh, this person, that CEO, that chair. That's really key. Who do you know or who, who would and could vouch for you, right? Yeah. And seek those people out. It doesn't necessarily just, it's not just your bosses. It should be yeah. both your internal and external stakeholders. Uh, the third question I have is, who will give you candid feedback, right? To make sure that you really are uh, aware and conscious about, about your strengths and also about the areas that you could actually uh, work on. The fourth question in my social audit is how, who can help me understand how to navigate the organizational corridors? Uh, all organizations, especially large ones, and including you know, the, the smaller and medium-sized ones, uh, there are always the, the corridor powers, right? And those conversations, the water cooler conversations, the corridor chats, they are really, really important so that you get a sense of what the organizational climate is, uh, who actually has uh, the seeds uh, to make certain decisions that could potentially impact your own career path, and who has the power to make things happen. Sometimes people, it's not necessarily the people in the seats uh, that can make things happen, right? And sometimes it's external stakeholders as well. So these are the five things that I would really encourage, you know, for younger women who are looking to, to really elevate their career tra trajectories, always have those uh, questions in mind. Lovely. I, I love this. As you went through this, you know, as you talked about a little bit of your challenges, things that you had to navigate through, where did the support come from? Who, who were the people who really supported you in this journey? You know, one of the best things that happened in my career is really uh, going, is, uh, going to Maybank. The, the, here's a funny story. You know, Maybank, it has always been the largest bank in Malaysia, but it was never my favorite bank, right? I felt it was always too slow and the brand was not uh, particularly appealing. So I joined the bank uh, in 2009. And uh, I think that was when a lot of things really became clearer to me. When you talk about what are Asian women's experiences of leadership, the years of being in the trenches, the one thing that really became a part of me was, you know, this belief that in order for me to succeed, in order for, for me uh, to, to really uh, be 
you know, bigger than myself was to be like other men in the mm. industry. So I did take on this persona of being very stoic, uh, being very irreverent of most things, and, and above all, uh, not being emotional, not mm. showing emotions, right? So that became a part of, you know, how I projected myself, so to speak. And it was only in two thousand in uh, twenty ten when the when Maybank undertook its transformation journey, and part of that journey was really to cultivate what uh, was called a hot culture, an honest, open, and transparent culture, which really meant that for the bank to really uh, accelerate and elevate uh, its growth, the mantras was leave your egos at the door so that whatever conversations we have uh, at the table will always be honest, open, and transparent. It was hard work. Uh, you know, it was about, you know, 100 to 200 top leadership of the bank came together, huddled uh, over many, many weeks to really understand what was our own brand. And uh, that was when our mission statement of humanizing financial services uh, came about. Everybody wanted to not be that stoic banker, that that banker that you know that didn't show uh, that we cared about things. So humanizing financial services really was a, 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 a huge uh, enabler for all of us to really be more of who we are and not to be intimidated by differences. They could just be differences that we celebrate, that we embrace. So that was a massive trigger point uh, for me. Uh, there was a lot of reflection in the early years of that transformation journey. And it really made me uh, think back about my years uh, in the trenches and how perhaps I wanted to actually uh, be different, you know, be more of myself. So that was about, you know, how being emotive, using my, the power of my own emotions to connect uh, with others, uh, to make those connections, you know, became uh, a, a third thing for me uh, to really understand how I can make a difference, you know, to whatever I do. Wow. Um, I mean, this is such a great point about, um, you know, be um, power of emotions, because again, one of the things that women leaders always try and do is, or oh, don't show too much emotion or they want to hold on to their emotion because they don't want to come across as being too emotive. Uh, but I'm hearing you say there is power in that, you know, use that power well. So thank you. I think that's a really good point. Um, Amy, I want to ask you, if you were to look back, what's one advice you would give to your younger self? Uh, there's, there would be plenty of advice. <laughs> But I, I guess, you know, uh, looking back, uh, the one thing is that to always have fun. Mm. You, know, you know, as women, Asian women who, you know, we have many constraints. We have many yeah. constraints about how people expect us to behave, how people expect us to turn up, our own expectations, right? But the one element that is that you must have fun in whatever that you do, Right. Because, uh, and again, part of, you know, being in a very male-dominated industry, for example, you know, I wore, you know, it was always black suits, yeah. black suits, white shirts, you know, uh, comfortable shoes, right? Yeah. Uh, fashionable, but very pragmatic. 
uh, it's very much in my later years that uh, having fun uh, involved, you know, having uh, groups of uh, women friends, uh, what I call sisterhood, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, bro clubs are everywhere, but yeah. sisterhood is really not fashionable. And I know uh, sisterhood can come in many different shapes and forms and have different meanings. But when I when I talk about sisterhood, it's really about having, uh, you know, the ability to engage with other women. But yeah. most of all, having other women's backs, uh, yeah. encouraging and sponsorship. It is really about having your own groups uh, of people who can help also become your sponsors. And uh, one thing is that the, with, with these groups is that you can learn to have fun. Yes, nice, nice. One very, very personal question, you know, having had this great career, how do you define success? The one thing that the one exercise that uh, I do like to do is before I go to bed every night and is really to think if I don't wake up tomorrow morning, right, uh, what would be what would be the appetite, so to speak, for myself? Right. What Mm. would I want people to 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 actually say about me? Mm. Uh, So it's an exercise that I do, you know, uh, try to practice. And really, I guess it boils down to what uh, or how I would define success. And that's really, for me, uh, it's about always having done my best. Uh, you know, in whatever I do, uh, I do push the, the boundaries. I do push limits. I always raise the bar. Uh, my team, uh, my teams are always very candid with me about, you know, it's like sometimes it's, you know, a bit of a nightmare working with me because it's always if people tell me that uh, if this is a particular solution, I will always say, well, why not bigger, better, bolder? All right. uh, why not higher? Why not more? So, but it's it, it's all the the my definition of success would really be I see that whatever capabilities and talents that are gifted to us, they are exactly that they are gifts to us. And our job in this life is really to actualize those talents, those gifts. Uh, for others and to give back. Great. I mean, that's such a lovely definition. Amy, it's been such a pleasure speaking to you. And I know I can go on and on because such a uh, you know, it's just it's just so nice to listen to you and with all your experience, um, you know, but I, I'm aware of the time. I, you know, for me, some of the key takeaways from our conversation, um, one absolutely the thing that I loved was about social audit, uh, you know, how important it is not only for for women leaders, but actually for everyone, but since we're talking specific women leaders, for them to not only build, but also continue to invest in building um, social capital. And social audit was a great, great tool, I thought, and simple, but very powerful. The other piece that I really loved, uh, the other statement that you made was, don't be intimidated by difference. Um, And the reason I really liked it, because I know a lot of time, you know, the point that you made, Women leaders, we go into a room and probably we are the only one, only women there, or maybe there are two of us in a group of 20, or you go to, uh, you know, you go out networking and you find yourself in in very small numbers. So don't be intimidated by difference because we all have something to offer uh, and we should leverage that. And the third point um, was about, uh, you know, about the thing about own your emotions, because that's, again, a, a thing that women leaders hear a lot and also they think themselves that, you know, I should not be so emotive. I should be, you know, I should keep a straight face. I should not show my emotions, but I guess there's power in showing emotions. 
But the trick is how do we use that to our advantage, right? So those are my key takeaways. And I'm sure the, the, our listeners are going to find many, many more takeaways from this conversation. So thank you once again, Emmy. It was such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ritu. Thank you so much for staying with us till the end. If you enjoyed today's discussion, please take a moment to subscribe to the show, rate us five stars and leave a review. This really helps others find the show and that means a lot to us. Thank you for joining us today. This is Ritu with Rewrite the Rules podcast. See you next time.